Hi, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. This was a legendary moment. The moment that Klal Yisrael not just was waiting for, they really needed it. After an Egel, Klal Yisrael wanted to know, will Hashem ever forgive us? It was a catastrophic sin. It was something that Klal Yisrael cried and begged and pleaded for Teshuvah. And now the opening day of the Mishkan, the day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. And the question was, Will we get the kapara for the Egel? The entire day's events were all around getting the kapara for that terrible sin of the Egel. The Mishkan itself was referred to as the Mishkan HaEdut. Edut means testimony. What testimony was the Mishkan looking to give? It was to testify that Hashem finally forgave us. And oh, were we looking for that forgiveness. And at the end of this great day, the festivities and the korbanot that were brought, you know how the day ended. There, Vayisa et Yedav, Vayibarchem, Aharon raised his hands and he began to give the great blessings of what we know today as Birkat Kohanim. Birkat Kohanim was that last moment that sealed the forgiveness of the sin of the golden calf, the Egel. What does Birkat Kohanim have to do with the sin of the Egel? How does this forgive something so catastrophic? Ladies, I want you to listen to this. We all know that the Goim had a prophet, an evil one, by the name of Bil'am. Bil'am came to attempt to destroy the Jewish people and to curse them. However, how much he tried, and he tried to curse, but to no avail. Finally, Bil'am is looking for a way. And you know what the Pasuk says? Vayar Bil'am, Bil'am sees that only Kitov, it's good in Hashem's eyes when you bless the Jewish people, not to curse them. So you know what he did? The Pasuk says, he turned to the Midbar. What did he do by doing that? Says Rashi, when he turned to the desert, in essence, he was trying to remind Hashem of the terrible sin that we did in the desert. He was trying to remind God of the Chet HaEgel. And if maybe Hashem will get upset at us, that will give him finally the opportunity to curse us. But he didn't succeed. Why not? Why couldn't he curse us? How come even the Egel wasn't something that can get God to allow Bil'am to curse? Says Chazal something incredible. Because the Jewish people had a special zikhut. And this zikhut was the driving force to be forgiven for the golden calf. And what is that? Something we might not yet have heard. It was in a remez, it was a secret that was told to us by the story of Bil'am and his donkey. Where the donkey turns around and tells Bil'am after he hits the donkey three times. Says the donkey, Lama zehikitani shalosh rigalim. Why did you hit me three times? Oh, but wait. 
The donkey didn't say shalosh pe'amim. It said shalosh regalim. You know what the donkey was saying? Bil'am. You could try to hit them. You could try to hit them. You could try all you want. These people cannot be cursed. These people you can't hit. You know why? Because they have the shalosh regalim. They have the three great holidays. Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuot. And in the merit of them keeping the Shalosh Regalim, they were even forgiven for the golden calf. What? Shalosh Regalim was the reason why we were forgiven from the, the golden calf? Says Chazal, yes. And this is something fascinating to hear. Explains the rabbis. You know, we have this concept in Basar V'chalov, in Ta'aruvot. We have a concept that's called Batel B'Shishim. One in 60. Example, if I have a pot of chalent or meat and a drop of milk falls into that pot. If there are 60 times meat against that little drop of milk, that drop of milk is considered as completely and absolutely nothing, insignificant. It's as if it wasn't there. Harehu kimisheeno is the words of halacha. When it's batel b'shishim, it's as if it doesn't exist. Do you know what our holidays did? Do you know that the shalosh regalim was mevatel, the sin of the egel, batel b'shishim, as if it never existed. How is that? I'd like to show this to you. I think this is fascinating. It goes like this. How long and how many hours was the sin of the Egev? Well, Chazal tell us that they woke up early in the morning by daybreak and the sin went on up until Hatzot. They were off by six hours. At daybreak until Hatzot. That was Cheta Egel. By Chatzot, Moshe Rabbeinu came down. So the sin was for six hours. Comes the holidays, and they're Mivatel, the sin of the Egel, 60 times. How is that? What is 60 times the six hours of Egel? Well, 60 times six is 360, right? Take a look at this. How many days are there in Shalosh Regalim? Well, there are seven days to Sukkot, seven days to Pesach, because we're talking about Israel. Seven days Sukkot, seven days Pesach, and one day Shavuot. All together is 15 days. 15 days. 15 times 24 is 360 hours. In the complete total Shalosh Regalim, there are 360 hours of holiday. The 360 hours of Shalosh Regalim was Mivatel, the six hours of Cheta Egel, Batel B'Shishim. Incredible. This is what the donkey was telling to Bil'am. Bil'am, you think you can hit these people? You think they can curse these people? You can't touch these people. You know why? Shalosh Regalim. They have the great holidays. They have Sukkot, Pesach, Shavuot. And because of that, in that merit, they were even forgiven for the great sin of Cheta Egel. They were Mivatel B'Shishim. Do you know where we see this? 
We see this in the Birkat Kohanim itself. In Birkat Kohanim, how many psukim are there? There are three psukim. There are three psukim. In Birkat Kohanim, there are 15 words. In Birkat Kohanim, there are 60 letters. Three Pesukim, that's the Shalosh Regalim. 15 words, Birkat Kohanim, that corresponds to the 15 days of the sum total of the Shalosh Regalim. Seven days Sukkot, seven days Pesach, one day Shavuot, 15 days, 15 words. And there are 60 letters in Birkat Kohanim to show, to show that Shalosh Regalim was Mivatel the Egel Batel Beshi Shin, 60 letters. This is why at the end of that great inaugural day, in the day, the opening day of Mishkan, the day that's going to show the Kapara for the Egel, how does Aharon end off that day? With Birkat Kohanim. Showing through these three psukim, 15 letters and six, 15 words and 60 letters, that we were mevatel the sin completely. Batel the shishim. We are now forgiven. And that was the great moment, the happiness. Such an amazing day. So ladies, if this is the case, you'll understand me then well when I tell you that earlier on that day, the great moment when Aharon brought the first korban and Aharon is turned to Moshe and Moshe tells him, Aharon, it's time, bring the korban. Let's start the festivities. This is the opening day. Aharon says, I'm ready. What korban should I bring Moshe? Moshe says, okay, Aharon, we want to be mechaper on the egel. So bring a korban, bring an egel. Aharon says, Uli, an egel? You want me to bring an egel? You know what Rashi says? Aaron Bosch. He got so embarrassed. He says, Aaron, the last thing I want to do is bring an Egel. The last thing I want to do is remind God of what I did in the sin of the Egel. He says, Aaron, you know, everybody knows that when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kodesh HaKodashim on Yom HaKippurim, do you know how he dresses? In all of white. Why doesn't he wear gold? Why doesn't he wear black? He doesn't wear gold because he doesn't want to remind Hashem of the golden calf. He doesn't wear black because that's the sign of sin. If you're coming to ask forgiveness, the last thing you want to do is remind Hashem of the sins you did. That's why we come in white on Kippur. Says Aharon, if I want to come and I want to ask Hashem to forgive me on the golden calf, I should bring a calf. That's the last thing I should bring. It's like walking with a t-shirt on the back. It says, hit me. Who would do that? You're asking for it. Said Aharon to Moshe, an egel. That's the last thing I want to bring. No, Moshe, I don't want to do it. Until, you know what the Pasuk says? Kravel on his Moshe told Aharon, you must go close. Says Rashi, Moshe said to Aaron, Lama ata bosh? Why are you embarrassed? Lekach nivcharta. This 
is what you were destined to do. What is Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Ladies, there's a great gem here I want to share with you. Because in truth, we understand Aharon very well. If you did the sin of the Egel, you don't want to bring a korban in Egel. You don't want to remind Hashem of your sins. So what is Moshe saying? This is what you were chosen for. I'd like to tell you now another side to the story of the Egel that you might not yet have heard. Said the great Chatam Sofer, Zechit Sadiq Libracha. Said the Chatam Sofer, the Jewish people came to Aharon and they said, Aharon, we want you to make an Egel. Aaron thought to himself, if I say no, you know what they're going to do? They're going to kill me. They already killed Khor. And now they're going to kill me. And you know what's going to result? In Navi it writes, Chas v'shalom, if you kill a Kohen and a Navi, biyom ehad, miyad golim. If you kill a Navi and a Kohen in one day, the Jewish people will be banished forever. Irreversible. They'll be destroyed. Says Aaron, they already killed the Navi. If I say no, they're going to kill me too. And then they're going to kill a Kohen and a Navi on the same day. And then the Jewish people will be destroyed forever. And said Aaron, you know, even if I run away, they're going to end up doing it anyways. And just for the Avodah Zarah, Hashem will destroy them, He'll annihilate them. I have to save the people. I have to do something to save Klal Yisrael. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the sin myself. I'm going to take it on my shoulders. Let God's wrath come down on me. But at least I did it. Not the people. And therefore the Jewish people will save. They'll survive. They'll go on. Let God's punishments come on me. I'll do the sin. I'll take the bullet for the Jewish people. I need to save them. And sure enough, you know what Aaron did? He went with a Lashem Yehud and he made the Egel and he insisted to do it by himself. Nobody else. People, stand back behind the yellow lines. I got this. I'm the Kohen. You want me to do it? I do it. Nobody else. And he went and he made the egg and the people were so even the Rashaim, they were like, wow, Aaron is really into this. Let him do it. And because of that, he made sure nobody else sinned except him. He saved the Jewish people from annihilation. At that moment, Hashem said, Aaron, I am Yodea Machshavot B'nei Adam. I know the thoughts of people. And I know your Gadol Hador. I know there's no way Aharon Kohen is going to make Avodah Zarah. I know why you did it. You did it to save the people. You did it to spare them from the sin that they would not be able to survive. And because of that, Aharon, you sacrificed to save the Jewish people? You were Moser Nefesh? In order to save Klal Yisrael's future? Now, because of your Mesirut Nefesh, I'm appointing you, Kohen Gadol, and your children will be Bnei Aharon HaKohanim. 
Up until that point, the whole Shevet of Levi were going to be Kohanim. Now, it's exclusive to Aaron and his sons. Why? Because he was Moser Nefesh to save the Jewish people. Amazing. This is the secret to what we just learned. Moshe Rabbeinu comes on the opening day and he says, Aaron, let's bring the first korban. Aaron says, okay, what am I bringing? Moshe says, Egel. Aaron says, what? Egel? I can't bring an Egel. It's going to remind Hashem of the terrible sin that I did. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, you got it all wrong. Lama atabosh. Why are you so embarrassed? Just the opposite. Because of what you are, Moser Nefesh, by the Egel, Lekach Nivcharta. That's why you were chosen as Kohen in the first place. That's why you became the Kohanim. Don't be embarrassed for the Egel. Your Mesirut Nefesh saved Klal Israel. Your sacrifice allowed you to become the great man you are today. And from here, ladies, I want to share with you a recipe like no one has ever shared before. Okay, can we share recipes? Yes. Listen to this. Any leadership, stature of greatness in the Jewish people have come with one thing only, sacrifice. Nothing else. In all the other nations of the world, you might find leaders and powerful people in powerful places. They might have gotten there because of the people they knew, their hookups. Maybe they're wealthy. Maybe they're powerful. Maybe it's lineage. Not in this nation. In Klal Yisrael, there's only one way to become great. There's only one way to achieve leadership. There's only one way to become something out of the ordinary, and that is Mesirut Nefesh. You have to really, really sacrifice. And I'm looking around here, and I see a few mothers. We could all tell you as parents, and Bezat Hashem, you'll be the future mothers of Am Yisrael. We can tell you right off the bat, the people who sacrificed to bring up their children as good kids, as religious kids. In Avodat HaKodesh, today you see the difference. And the children of the families who sacrificed to really do well bringing up their children and the families that didn't. Sacrifice equals greatness. Without sacrifice, nothing moves. This is the theme of Klal Yisrael. This is our strength. We're a people of sacrifice. And that's how we endure. That's how we survive. That's why we're the people of greatness. It was because the Mesirut Nefesh of the Jew. Ladies, I want to share with you something. There was a great famous Gemara. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Berachot that there was a drought. And this went on for months and months till it came, it became unbearable. So the rabbis of that city decided that they're going to make a day of prayer. So they bring everybody out in the city and everyone is fasting and they're praying an entire day. One day, no rain. Three days, no rain. A week, no rain. It goes on for a few weeks and there's no rain. 
They turn to the rabbis and they say, we don't understand. We're praying, we're fasting. Why isn't God answering us? In the previous generations, when they had a drought, there was a great rabbi by the name of Rabbi Huda that when they just told him about the drought, they only told him that there was no rain. The rabbi gives a krechs. Oh! And he removed one shoe to start sitting on the floor to pray. As he removed that one shoe, it began to pour. And the rabbi would say, no, 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 Hashem. That's a downpour. That's too much. Can you lighten it up a bit? Please. And then suddenly it would become a little drizzle. And then Rabbi Yudah would say, no, no, that's too light. Too light. Can you please give us a regular rain like this? Our crops, everything that needs will be able to have rain. And then the rain would go back to normal. They said, we don't understand. In the last generation, the rabbi didn't even open the book yet of Tehillim. All he did was take off his shoe and it started raining. Our generation, we're fasting, we're crying, we're praying, weeks, nothing. And the rabbis answered, there's a very big difference between the last generations and ours. The last generations lived with sacrifice. Oh, did they sacrifice. Oh, did they give everything they had. They gave everything they had for what they believed in. They lived such a quality life. To them, life was their kids. Life was their family. Life was Bore Olam. They worked? Yeah, they worked. They had to put food on the table like everybody else. But that wasn't life. That was a necessity. It was a need. You had to eat. So I went and I worked. But my life was my kids, my family, my holiday, my Shabbat. That was life. And they sacrificed. And they lived such a quality life because of that. It's amazing. But as time goes on, that concept of sacrifice, little by little, begins to slowly go. And people aren't so much into sacrificing anymore. They're not so much into really working for something anymore. We became this chick-chock generation where we wanted it yesterday, overnight, FedEx, UPS, let me have it, yesterday, now, fax it over, send it emails, then it became text messages, now it's WhatsApp, and, and it's going, and it's moving, and, it, and, and, it's like, and it's like, if I don't have it now, I'm already flipping out. Relax. We don't want to wait for nothing. We don't want to work for nothing. The moment we break a nail, was that chip a nail, right? The moment, the moment we already were sweating. And then everyone puts their hands up, that's it, I had enough, I'm out of here. What do you mean? Give another minute. Work a little harder, a little bit sacrifice. This is such a message for an American Jew. The message of Aharon. Likach nivcharta. Do you want to know why you were chosen for greatness, Aharon? How did you become Aharon and your children Kohanim? Because you sacrificed for the Jewish people. And ladies, let me in on a secret. The moment any great position in Klal Yisrael opens up, Hashem freezes the world for a second, and he looks down in his farm team of people. Who am I going to give this greatness to? 
Who am I going to give this position to? Who am I going to make the next leaders of our young ladies of Klam Yisrael? Who are going to be the next young ladies that are going to head the Gemach and the organizations and the Chesed organizations? Who are going to be the market makers? Who are going to be the community changers? Who are going to be those young ladies? Who are going to be those people? Hashem looks down and says, let me see. Let me see who knows how to sacrifice. Let me see who's sacrificing for the Jewish people, for my children. Those are the ones he picks first. Because the recipe to greatness, if you want to be chosen for anything of great stature, it's achieved and it comes with sacrifice. Today, you look around the community, you speak to anybody successful in any industry, how do they always start their story? Speak to anybody, rabbis, wealthy people, influential people, they always start the story of their lives the same way. I came to this country with this shirt on my back. Every, every single one of them. I didn't have a penny in my, I didn't have a penny in my pocket. I used to walk over the Brooklyn Bridge because I couldn't afford the five cents for the toll. How come they always start their stories that way? How come every success story starts with the little nothingness that they have? Because every person looks back at those moments that they had a sacrifice and they point a finger and they say, those were the moments that made me the success I am today. That's the recipe. Likach nivcharta. That's why you were chosen to greatness. Because of the sacrifice, the heart and soul that you put into it. That's how you went somewhere. And that's why I'm talking to you about this today. Because, you know, I, I always scratch my head and think to myself, if you're going to give that guy at the age of 17 with his permit a BMW, What comes next? Where's the sacrifice? If we don't teach ourselves, our kids, what it means to work for something, to challenge, to overcome, we've taken out of their toolbox the most valuable tools of life. The moment something goes wrong, they're not going to know how to deal. And then we have 48-year-olds running back to mommy and daddy, crying and throwing a fit like when they were four years old. Because no one taught them how to sacrifice. No one taught them that it's okay if life isn't perfect every moment of the day. No one taught them that when things go wrong, you can persevere. And there are going to be challenges in life. And no matter what family you come from, no matter what your last name is, no matter what the bank account is, there's going to be challenges in life that you're going to have to rough and sacrifice and deal with. That's why to me it was amazing. But we hit a certain point where we have to resend out the message. We became very comfortable. And we have tremendous blessing in our community. And it's a community of affluence. And they give like nobody else in the world.
But let's remember who we are. We're a people of sacrifice. And the sacrifice should not rob us from our secret to success. I heard from a rabbi in this community. I don't want to say his name because I didn't ask him permission to say his name, but he did give me permission to say the story. This rabbi has a school and at the same time he's a businessman. He has a business. He works in car parts. And because of that he went on a business trip with his partner, a real mainstream SY guy from the community, the two of them together, the rabbi and his partner, they went out to Detroit. The Detroit industry, I mean, that's where the automobile industry really is. And they were out there for the weekend. They wake up Monday morning in Detroit. And that day was Monday morning, September 11th. That was the great 9-11. They woke up to a world that was falling apart. America was under attack. And they heard about the first plane that went into the towers. And then he heard about the second plane. And then they heard that the towers came crumbling down. And then they hear that there's another plane on the way to the White House and another plane on the way to the Pentagon. And they started going crazy. And the rabbi told me, he says, my wife was calling. She was saying, where are you? We don't know what's going to happen at the end of this day. I have the passports ready. Who knows what's going on? You get home now. And not just the rabbi. His partner as well. His wife called him panicking. What's going on? Get home. I don't care what business trip you're on. You get home to your family now. Who knows what's going to be? America's under attack. So what did the rabbi do? Him and his partner immediately, they checked out at a hotel, canceled all their appointments. The world was upside down that day. And they went straight to the airport. They come running up to the counter. We demand to take the first flight out of here. The lady by Delta is looking at them. Are you joking me? Are you joking? Did you watch the news, Rabbi? America's under attack. There are no flights going anywhere. Not today and not for the near future. All flights are canceled. There's no way we can give you any flight. There's no way we can give anyone a flight. There's no flights. All flights are grounded. The last place you want to be now is in the air. They thought to each other, she says, right. How are we going to get home? And their wives keep calling and calling and calling. Where are you? The situation's getting worse. America was in a panic. These two guys were on a business trip. So the rabbi tells me he comes running out of the airport, him and his partner, and what do they see? They see the rental car counters. So they run up to the first rental car counter. And they say, please tell us you have a car. We'll drive back. Sorry, sir. All our cars, they were all grabbed up after the flights were grounded. Everyone has the same idea you have. He said, oh boy. He goes to the next one and the next one. Everyone sold out. Finally, the last company on the road. He runs into Hertz. And even though their price does hurt, but they ran into Hertz. And he's begged, lady, please tell me you have one car. She says, sir, listen to me. We have one car left. If you would have came five minutes late, I guarantee the car was gone. 
It's oh, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, thank you, Hashem. I can finally calm down my wife. I'm going to drive home. It'll take me whatever, six hours, but I'll get home. I'll take it. He puts down his credit card. And she says, okay. She starts writing up the contract and she goes through everything. And then finally she turns to him and says, okay, here's the keys to the Dodge. It's out. His partner says, what? What type of car is that? She says, it's a Dodge. A Dodge? You're giving me a Dodge? My Hadame doesn't drive a Dodge. You expect me to ride in a Dodge? I won't be caught dead in a Dodge. Come on, tell me you had something luxurious. You have a Volvo, right? A town car, a limo. The rabbi looked at his partner and his jaw dropped. He says, are you out of your mind? It's 9-11, it's September 11th, the world is coming to an end. You want to make a thing over a Dodge? He says, Rabbi, I'm sorry. You can take it if you want. I will not step foot into that car. No leather seats? Are you joking me? I am not going into a Dodge. What happens if somebody sees me in that Dodge? I'll be ostracized from the community. Are you joking? This is not a made-up story. I heard this directly from the rabbi. He got into the Dodge, drove home, and the guy would not go into the car. He told his wife, honey, they had no more cars. That's not a car. He went back to his hotel and waited four days until they were able to start up the flights again. We're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about the Jewish people. We're talking about being able to sacrifice, to be able to reach, to be able to sacrifice for others. Ay, ay, ay. We became very comfortable. Kalakavod. We're a generation out of the Holocaust. Hashem is comforting us. And we need that comfort. We do. We need the healing process but not to forget what a Jew is about. Not to forget that the essence of a Jew is our mesirut nefesh for Hashem and for what we believe in and for the abilities to sacrifice for others. This world was not just made for us, but it became such a materialistic society, so selfish. People became so selfish. When Mamashi would think the world was made for them, if Hashem wanted to make this world just for you, He could have made a planet Earth and put you in it, and you'll be the king of the ants. You're the king, or the queen, or the princess. <laughs> but whatever it is, you're, you're it, that's it. But the bottom line is, Hashem put other people in the world. You know why? Because He put you in this world for others, not for yourself. To sacrifice for another Jew. I just want to end off I want to tell you something. And this is one of the reasons that I'm so impressed with this school. The achdut and the warmth of the togetherness of each other to me is everything. Everything. I have a minhag. I used to do this over the years with my own kids. That every time one of my girls, my son, would come home from school. The first question I'd ask them on the first day, before asking about their teachers, I'd ask him, 
is there somebody in the class that has no friends? Is there a girl that no one has anything to do with? You know, because as the year starts developing, and you know, the clicks start clicking, and people start taking their sides, somehow or other, no matter which school, no matter which state, no matter which society, there's always people that are left out, and they have nobody. They have mamash nobody. No one ever calls them to come over. No one ever calls them to hang out. No one ever calls them for anything. And they live a lonely, desperate life. And it's such a pain, such a pain. So I'd always ask my girls, and I remember one year, my daughter, she said to me, yeah, Abba, there's one girl, but uh, you know. I said, Sarah, I want you to go tomorrow. And I want you to become this girl's best friend. She says, Abba, come on. Best friend? Come on. I said, Sarah, I want you to become her best friend. Abba, you're the rabbi, not me. What are you asking me to do? I have my friends. I said, I know, but she doesn't. She has nobody. Give a little sacrifice for somebody else. What does it take? Befriend her. Abba, forget it. I said, Sarah. You're inviting her over tomorrow night for homework. She says, come on. I said, you're doing it. She says, fine. But Abba, listen. Now that you're pushing me, can I tell you the truth? I said, yeah. She smells. I said, what? She smells. I said, excuse me? She says, you hurt me. She is hygienically awkward. She doesn't, that's why everyone stays away from her. She dresses like Cinderella on the way back from the ball. She doesn't smell well. I can't do it. I said, Sarah, you're gonna invite that girl over tomorrow night for homework. Don't worry about the rest. The next night, Sarah invites this girl over. Ladies, listen to me. This girl walks through the door. This girl is now in two and, a, two and a half years of high school. No one invited her over once. She didn't have a friend. Two and a half years of high school. I saw the look on her face when she walked through the front door of my house. Her face was lit up. She was shining. She couldn't believe she entered the inside of somebody else's house. She couldn't believe someone invited her. She walked in like she was walking around in Disneyland. She was walking around the house with such a smile. My daughter and her went upstairs. They did the homework together. Then I turned to my wife. I said, okay, now get up there and do your stuff. She looked at me, what stuff? What are you talking about? I said, come on, Naomi, go upstairs and do your stuff. She said, what do you want me to do? I said, come on, go help out the girl. This is a moment, literally, to save a girl's life. Sacrifice for somebody else. What does it take? Tell her. Later on, we found out the girl comes from a broken home. Later on, we found out that the problems at home were of such that there was no one at home to mother this girl, to give families love and direction to what a typical girl gets. She, Hazita, she didn't have. My wife went upstairs. She sat down with the two. 
And at the end, my wife winks to Sarah like, disappear. Sarah gets up as if she's going to the bathroom. My wife turns to the girl and she tells her, I want to tell you something. You're really a pretty girl. Do you know that was the first time this girl ever heard that in her whole life? You're really a pretty girl. I want to tell you something. And she starts, she starts talking to the girl like a mother. And she starts telling her, you know, if you take care of certain things, everyone would realize how beautiful you are. And she started telling her about deodorant, about different things that a girl needs to hear from somebody. Till finally at the end, my wife quietly went into a room, put some stuff together. No one saw, no one knew. As the girl was walking out, my wife put her arm around her, walked her out the door and handed her this little brown bag. And she told her, I'm taking my girl shopping tomorrow. Come over tomorrow. Just if it's okay with your mom. She walked out 10 feet tall. She came back the next night. Now listen to me. My girls needed no clothes. But we went shopping. And all my wife needed was the green light and an Amex. Baruch Baruch Shemo, Amen. That was it. To the mall we go, right? Hi-ho, hi-ho, to the mall we, right? They went to the mall. They came back and I'm telling you, I'm so happy because I found out at the end of that year, this girl went through a complete transformation. At the end of that year, when they had the Shabbaton, and they were giving out jobs, the head of this, and the head of that, and the head of this. This girl was chosen the head of dance. She became one of the most popular girls in the school. She came over to the house months later. I didn't even recognize it was her. She looked like a different person. Why? Because somebody sacrificed for her? What does it take to sacrifice for another person? This is what makes us great people. We're not here for ourselves. Break out of the selfish bubble. Let's remember we're here for someone else. Let's hear that we're here for our mothers. And if we're not going to be there to help them, who's going to help them? All the time I tell them, if you don't allow our kids to learn sacrifice, if the chedameh is cleaning off the table every Shabbat, what happens if she marries a guy that can't afford the chadam? What's going to happen then? I'm talking about only Shabbat, ladies. <laughs> Easy does it. But what would happen then? What happens? We took the tools away from them to be able to function. And then what happens? I remember in our house, no one could get up off the table empty-handed. And mamash, for years, no matter, help or no help, this is a table of our home. You help your mother. She doesn't do it alone. Years later when I got married, and I was by my in-laws for that first Shabbat, I wasn't doing it to impress them. It was part of my nature. Automatically, when I got up from the table, I grabbed a plate, I grabbed a tray, I got up and started walking to the kitchen. My mother-in-law, she looked at me. Sure. Her jaw dropped. What happened to this guy? Mejnoon, look at this guy. 
She turned to my wife, she said, you did that? My wife said, no, that wasn't me. What's wrong? Sacrificing for a family member, sacrificing for another Jew, breaking out of the selfishness. We're great when we're selfless. You want to go somewhere in life? You want to be chosen for greatness in the Jewish people? Here's the recipe. Here's the secret. It's all about sacrifice. Let's be zoche to continue to do the great growth that each and every one of you are doing. Hashem should bless you. That you should be zoche to lekach nivcharta, to be chosen to be the great and the future mothers of Klal Yisrael. Amen.